You are now listening to Faith Ignited on Palma Talk Radio. Good evening, good evening, good evening. How are you all this beautiful Friday evening? Us in California, we have been a sopping mess. We have been raining every day, and I love, love the rain. I just get worried about some of the damage that it causes, but I do love, like tonight, I'm relaxed. Oh my gosh, you guys, I'm having some port wine tonight. Some port wine is joining us for the podcast. Been sipping on that. It I don't know, it just felt good tonight on this rainy night. So this is Faith Ignited, and we are listening to Palma Talk Radio. If this is the first time you're listening, it's nice to finally meet you. And if you are a returning listener, thank you for coming back. We are on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Palma Talk Radio, plus three other amazing channels on our platform, Palma Classics, and and Palma One, and Butrix, and uh, Palma Talk, you guys, there's so many options on our platform, we're growing every day little by little we're growing more and more and if you have an occasion that you would like and you are in the bay area and you would like palma media to cover your event please reach out to us on all of our socials palmamedia.com facebook and on instagram Welcome, guys. How was your week? Tell me everything. What happened this week? Some of you, some of my friends this week have had some trying weeks. uh, Weeks with change and compromise and um, sometimes scariness. And um, to all of you guys who are out there going through something right now, I hope that this podcast finds you in a cozy, comfortable, seated or laying down, driving but looking on the road. But if you are joining me tonight, I send you a huge hug from my house to yours on this beautiful Friday night. Man, some of us had, like I said, tough weeks and to my friends out there who are having a hard time and to all of you out there, friend or not, to whomever is having a hard time, we just gotta keep grabbing and reaching for the good stuff and keep pouring in the good stuff and 
and uh, I have a video on my Facebook page, um, Nancy Burns on Facebook, and Faith Ignited Podcast on Instagram. So, because of those stories that are going around, some some people find it hard to see hope or find hope that things are going to change and things are going to be different and God willing everything that you pray for everything that you're wishing for everything that you need from God if it is his will may it be done and because I know some of you are struggling out there. I wanted to find a story that I think would resonate and touch a lot of people and give people hope that change, whether that's bad or good, that it's always for our betterment so that we can level up and level up and level up to a better and higher self, to a place where we know who we are, we know why we're here, and we know whose we are. And no one can judge us but God. I sometimes do this podcast and I think about... um, some of you who are listening and wonder about your weeks and wonder how you guys are doing so feel free to leave me a comment anytime uh, on um, our social medias with that I'm going to get into the story um if I can find it under all this rain. (laughs) I'm going to find I have the story. I'm going to change up the music a little bit, allow you to grab a drink, grab a water, grab whatever you need, and um, grab a blanket. And grab your friends, grab your partner. Listen to this together. Guys, get get a family that you know prays together, stays together, and I firmly believe that. With that being said, let's get into our story for tonight. Thank you for listening to Faith Ignited on Palma Talk Radio. Oh wait, before I forgot, let me light my candle. Let's go. some light in our life this weekend or tonight. Oh, burnt twice. That's a good luck sign. Okay, guys. So this story is called Very Good in God's Eyes. 
I was born in Shreveport, Louisiana. My mother was 16 when she gave birth to me. All my family is conservative Baptist and when my mother became pregnant, there was a stigma. They sent her away for a period until she gave birth to me. And then my grandparents became my primary caregivers. My mother graduated high school, but my grandparents retained control of her. Because I was born out of wedlock, I was always treated differently, but I didn't understand it as a young child. As a way to remove the shame, I was put in a church for a long time from sun up to sundown, practically seven days a week. From kindergarten to third grade, I went to a private Catholic school. My mother eventually married and lived with her husband but I stayed with my grandparents. The private school closed and I began going to a public school near my mother's home. My mother would take me to my grandparents' home as soon as I was out of school and I would stay there until the morning when my grandmother took me to my mother's to catch the bus straight to school. During this time, I was still in church all the time, but it felt foreign to me. I can relate to that. Can you guys? I can so relate to that. I know you guys can too. During this time, I was still in church all the time but it felt foreign to me. I didn't feel a connection. The teaching at church didn't line up with my life at home, and that was confusing to me. My stepfather took me as his own son and loved me, but my grandparents told my mother that she had to divorce him because he drank. I don't remember his drinking being a problem in our home. He was good to me. He had a good job and he provided well for our family. My mother divorced him. God, he loved my mother and he never married again, but he began drinking excessively and after she divorced him, he drank himself to death, dying of liver cirrhosis at 43 years of age. Wow, that's young. So young. My mother had to move to the ghetto because she didn't have the income from her husband and her family didn't help her financially. And that's when my life, well, it started to take off, but in a negative way. 
I felt like I had two lives. When I moved to the bad neighborhood, the structure was different because I sought to belong. When I attended school, I hung out with the children that were doing everything wrong. And by the time that I was 11 or 12, I had been sheltered and now was introduced into this community of kids doing all these things that I didn't know anything about. I was just trying to fit in, but eventually this led me to participating in gang activity. I never did anything with the gang per se. I never got involved in crime because I was still staying with my grandparents at night. This time in my life was a turning point for me because I began to become emboldened. I developed my attitude and my grandmother told my mom, come and get him because if you don't, I'm going to kill him. Between 6th and 7th grade, I moved back with my mom. My mother was never really home, and I had to watch my baby sister. I would pick her up from school and watch her until my mom would come home. My mother wasn't there to tell me to go to school, so many times I didn't. I was baptized at Paradise Baptist Church, my grandparents' church, but I began going to Morning Star. It's another Baptist church down the street from my mom's house. And every Sunday, my mom would say, get dressed, get your sister dressed, and go to church. Pastor Reverend Hunt wanted to know where my mother was. He took me home to meet my mother and began a relationship between us. After school, I would go to Reverend Hunt's office, spend some time with him. He he became like a model father figure for me. Wow. He took me into his home. He treated me like his own son. But there was still a disconnect between church and my personal life. I appreciated him and I loved him, but I didn't feel any sense of peace or belonging to the church. And little did I know All the training that I received at Paradise Church and Morningstar would come back to help me in a most difficult period in my life when I went to prison. In prison, I believe, I'm going off the story for a minute, 
I think going to jail or prison is one of those things where there's people who go once and say, I will never go back again. And they stick to that. And then there's people that go to prison and say, I'm never coming back once they get released. And they end up going back. And I believe some of that is because there's not enough resources, but anyways, let's continue on with the story. Don't mind my, don't mind my sad side cheddar. <laughs> Baby, don't laugh. <laughs> By this time, I was 15 years old and had been kicked out of school for tardiness. I was attending what is now called an alternative school. There was teachers. And Miss Huntington, who was kind and compassionate, and she exuded love, she always told me, you are an intelligent young boy. She always encouraged me. Reverend Hunt and Miss Huntington became the two people that gave me self-worth and were positive. I didn't want to fight. And I and be with the guys because I had these two adults in my life encouraging me, believing in me. The goal at the alternative school was for the students to spend one semester and then go back to their regular school. We were to sit in a cubicle all day and do our normal school work sent over by our regular school teacher and also do additional work and it took a lot of discipline to sit in that cubicle every single day and do that work. But God, I was determined to get back to my school so I worked so hard to do everything that I was supposed to do. When I went back for my school board hearing to see if I could go back into my regular school, the assistant principal at my old regular high school said I was doing good where I was and I should stay there another semester. That crushed me. God, I had tried so hard. That day I stopped caring about everybody and everything. But I was still attending church. And I can remember sitting in church saying to God, to hell with it all, I don't even care. I didn't go back to my school. My mom found out and was really mad, so I ran away from home. The second night, my mom was out looking for me. When she found me, I could see she was holding my little sister. My stepdad told me to always be there for my little sister and my mom. I went home that night. The next night we were at church, Reverend Hunt told my mother 
She worried too much and that I was going to turn out all right. He told her that I was going to be a preacher. She said, what? I looked up in the sky and there was a full moon. And these two words stuck with me the whole 28 and a half years I spent in prison. I said, God, if you want me to change, you got to put me in position to make a change. You have got to put me in a position for me to make the change. I don't believe that God brings bad things to people. I believe that God lays choices before me. My statement to God essentially was that I'm not changing unless something drastic causes me to change because I was rejecting doing what was right. I was supposed to go to school the next day and I really wanted to go to school, but I missed the school bus. I thought I could catch the city bus and I got all dressed and I walked to catch the city bus. I saw a gang member fixing a car and thought he could take me to school. He asked me to go with him to take two rings to the pawn shop to get money to buy catalytic converters and that he wanted me to take, and he wanted, and he would take me. I saw the city bus and something inside of me said, get on that bus. Mm, how many times do we ignore our inner self, our conscience, God, how he speaks to us but I didn't get on the bus. In the pawn shop I saw across the city bus, I had a second chance to get on the bus. And again, I didn't get on the bus. We left the pawn shop. The guy's younger brother had joined us and his younger brother said he needed to go by his girlfriend's house. And we began walking that way. The guy I was with, at first, forgot his receipt at the pawn shop. And as he turned out, turned around to go back, I saw another city bus. Now this would have been my third opportunity to get on that city bus. Something again said, get on the bus. I let the bus pass me by. We made it to the street where the younger brother said his girlfriend lived there and he asked me to go knock on the door and ask for Kelly. I did that, but no one named Kelly lived there. We all three started to walk back towards the street 
And then the younger brother knocked on another door and a woman answered. They started arguing. His older brother and I walked off and when we were some distance away, we heard We walked home, and about 15 minutes later, the younger brother caught up and said, I did something. I said, I don't want to hear about it at all. Later that night, he was arrested for stealing a bicycle. He had a check made payable to the woman he shot. He was suspected for murder. He had shot two ladies at point blank range in the head. Jesus. One died and one was badly hurt but lived. He was 16 years old at the time. He told the police that the two other people were with him and named me and his brother. They questioned his, his brother first and then they let him go. The next day they came and got me. They questioned me and I wouldn't tell them anything. My mom came with Reverend Hunt and he said that he thought I should tell the police what happened. But my mom said, no, no, I don't want him to talk, no. Because I wouldn't talk, the police said that they were going to hold me for up to 72 hours in juvenile hall. On the third day, I stood before the judge and he said there was probable cause to transfer me to an adult facility. But because of my age, they separated me from everybody else. I stayed there for about two or three more days before I appeared in court. The court appointed attorney said there is no probable cause to hold this person. You've got to let him go. But then they asked me to stand in a line in front of the lady who survived. The police said that she said, it looks like number three, which was the one who shot her, but it sounded like number six, which was me. And that became a probable cause to hold me. The indictment was first degree murder, an attempted first degree murder. Mm. I was appointed to a different attorney and I still wouldn't talk. 
Now they wanted to file the death penalty. And I was moved to a high-security isolation cell. The entire cell was painted white and the light remained on 24-7 with the camera pointed directly in the cell and chicken wire over the bars. I was 16 when I went in and they kept me there in that spot for almost four and a half years. They were telling me that they were going to kill me. Everything I had learned in Paradise and Morningstar churches came back to me in that cell. The only thing I knew was to turn to the Bible. For four and a half years, my routine was that I would eat breakfast and then read the Bible from about 7.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Wow. And then I would pray every single day. Every day I read and prayed and read and prayed. My family slowly drifted away from me. They said I had no business being with those boys and told my mom not to go see me. I was cut off from all communication. And there I was, alone, 17 years old, facing death. And I just read my Bible and prayed and read and prayed and sung old baptism hymns. I ended up changing lawyers because he wanted me to cop out. I got a Christian lawyer and told him everything that had happened and he believed me and did everything he could to help. We ended up filing a motion to perpetuate testimony, to bring the victim to the trial to testify about me. And when he did that, they took him off of my case, but they had to go through with his motion they brought the lady who survived to the court and she said, that's not him. Where did you get him from? I don't know him. After her testimony, they amended my indictment for first degree murder to second degree murder and attempted second degree murder the language in the law in Louisiana Revised Statute 1424 says 
that all persons concerned in the commission of a felony, whether present or absent, principles to the offense. A low-degree principal was engaged in the crime, but disengaged from the time I walked from the pawn shop to the first house where I knocked on the door and asked for Kelly. I was, I was engaged. I was a principal in the murder, even though... I was absent from the scene of the crime and had no intent and no knowledge that he was going to shoot. And kill two people that day. I faced life in prison because I was a principal according to the law. The guy who actually shot the two women and killed one of them got only seven years because they gave him a deal to testify against me. His brother, the guy I initially asked to take me to school. Remember guys, this is all about getting a ride to school, my God. He was with me when his brother shot the two women, served no time at all, the other brother. So I go to Angola prison to serve life sentence. The best way to describe how I felt is to imagine yourself in a dark room, as dark as it can be, pitch black soundproof and you are thrown in the door and then it slams behind you and you didn't even know where the door was to get out no one can hear you how do you get out that's how I felt you are just in the dark of the dark in this dark place. For four and a half years, I had been praying, thinking that God knew I was innocent and was going to deliver me. Then that all went away. I didn't want to hear about church. I didn't care about the Bible, but there was something that just kept calling up calling me from inside myself not to lose faith not to lose faith so one day I found myself going to the chapel at Angola Angola is unique it is 18,000 acre farm and under the direction of Warden Burl Kane they built chapels in each satellite compass. Inmates are allowed to go to church. The churches are for the most part led by inmates 
but they also allowed free people to come inside to conduct our churches. There was a chapel led one day by a woman, her name was Cindy. From the outside, an Episcopal deacon, I started going to this chapel and to their Bible studies. Even though I didn't understand their liturgy, I didn't understand it, but there was a song that they sang in every service that reminded me of my Baptist upbringing. It resonated with me, but eventually I stopped going. At the end of the year, the Episcopal Church holds a banquet for regular attendees even though I had stopped attending. My name was on the call-out list to attend the banquet, but I said I wasn't going. At 5.30, they opened the door, and this guy said, come on and go. But again, I said, I'm not going. Finally, it was my third chance just like on the buses. It was my third chance to say yes to the opportunity that God was giving me to help. This time, unlike with the buses, I finally said yes. Yes to the opportunity for God's help. The guard said, Last call for call-outs. I said, all right, I will go. At the banquet, there was a deacon, there was Deacon Cindy there, and she walked up to me smiling and said, how have you been doing? We love you and miss you and hope that you come back. I said, I will come next Sunday. I was there the next Saturday. You have never left the Episcopal Church. Deacon Cindy is such a kind and loving person and is a mother to me. She never asked anyone why they were in prison. She never criticized anybody. She never told me what to believe. She let me figure it out. This was foreign to me because I came from a background where God wasn't as important. One day, she pointed out a verse in the Bible that said, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Then she said to me, you are very good in God's eyes. It blew me away. And I started looking at scripture differently. 
I was never able to be me. I was always trying to fit somebody else's mold. And when Cindy showed me that, I realized that I am good despite all else. And it doesn't matter what anyone thinks or says. I am good. Period. It changed my whole perspective and woke up a new person inside of me. I stopped thinking about my case and getting out after this. I knew that I would get out because of all the inmates' life sentences in Angola, 85% of the inmates in Angola will die in Angola. But I knew I would get out. I had this sense of peace about it. I came to the conclusion that if I just do what is right and listen to my conscience, to the voice of God, everything would work out. For 12 years, I went to church faithfully and ended up becoming a Eucharistic minister in the Episcopal Church. The New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary has an extension center at Angola where inmates could attend classes. Through this program, I got an associate's degree in Christian ministry and then a bachelor's degree in Christian ministry. When you graduate, they say you have to get a job. They gave the inmates the authority to peer, to be peer ministers, and now they send inmates to other prisons to be ministers in other prisons. Wow. Extending the olive branch, right? So it started in his prison, then other prisons, and other prisons. There was only one job in the ministry available when I graduated. It was to deliver death messages. Tell inmates when one of their loved ones had died. It also helped inmates who couldn't read and write two letters. I sat with inmates when they were sick and dying and I did funerals. Prison staff called me when people were suicidal. The process humbled me and I actually began to see what God had in front of me. When I was sitting with people who were dying, I was looking at them. But it was like I was seeing them through God's eyes. God was molding me through their suffering. 
I met inmates at very young, vulnerable times in their lives. And because of the experiences we've shared, they protected me. I didn't have problems in prison that most people have. I believe God kept me from all of that. I watched people get stabbed and beaten. I didn't experience any of that, thank God, he says. In 2010, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that it is illegal to give a juvenile a life sentence for a non-homicide, and inmates who were out, who were in put in prison for life as a juvenile were let out if they didn't commit a homicide. But because I was considered a principal in a homicide, that ruling didn't apply to me. Then there was a new case from Arkansas, and that Supreme Court said the ruling about juveniles did apply in homicide cases, but that still didn't help me because Louisiana said that the ruling wasn't retroactive. In 2018, the Supreme Court said the ruling was to be retroactively applied. Wow. So this is when I had the opportunity to go before the parole board. Cindy got so many people from the church to speak on my behalf. The district attorney had written on opposition letter, an, an opposition letter, which he which read, he said, I was cold-blooded murderer and should never be let out. At that point, my lawyer went point by point through transcript from trial to show him everything that the dis district attorney had said was not true. My lawyer, wow, did a phenomenal job. Then the people board people at the parole board stepped stepped out to take a vote. They stayed out about 20 minutes and the warden looked at me and said, man, you have a lot of people standing up for you. I think you got a shot. I also had gotten a paralegal degree and a horticulture degree while I was in prison. And I was enrolled in the master's degree program at the seminary. I had stayed out of trouble and hadn't had a write-up in almost 20 years. The parole board came back and said, so you didn't kill anybody. You have a lot of support. I better not ever see you in here again. Three days later, on October 5th, 2018, I walked out of Angola. I have reconnected with my family. I chose to forgive my mom. I told Cindy when I got out that I needed a church home. 
She found a church home for me, and and I have met so many people who support me for my church. They have helped me every step of the way with reentry. God has blessed me greatly, though, and He has blessed me greatly through them. And I have started my own landscaping business. I reapplied to finish my master's divinity, and I am a training program at the church to be able to visit people in hospitals, to be a lay Eucharistic minister. Wow. I often go back to certain Bible stories that I read of Daniel in the lion's den and and in both stories it's all about whether they would choose to serve God or not in those types of stories the moral of both stories was that serving God has nothing to do what I get out of it of God it is about everything that God has done for me and the essential thing that he has done for me is to give me salvation. I am very, very grateful to be out of prison. But even if I had not gotten out of prison, I had committed myself to serving God anyway. And that's why I took the jobs that I did. I still have that approach. Even if God doesn't grant my desires, I will still serve him because that is what life is about. And that has brought me so much peace. One of my seminary professors said, it's not about you, but it's all about perspective. Change of perspective, change of life. I would like to thank God for patience. God gave me patience because in those trying moments, something inside of me kept me at peace and kept me patient. I never get so discouraged to think about killing myself anymore. I have peaceful patience that came from God. I can't. I kept my eyes fixed on him and knew everything would work out. We often deceive ourselves into thinking that God doesn't exist and that he doesn't care about us. But don't be deceived by that. He does exist and he does care about all of us. God is real. Everything is real. Faith is different than belief. Faith is based upon 
something tangible, a tangible experience. Look through the course of your life and identify those moments of doubt, frustration, insecurity, and try to discover how did you feel? You may have felt hopeless, but also hopeful. Those moments of hope are the only moments you have to hold on to. Your faith can build from that. You don't have to know the end. You just need to know the present and God will take care of the end. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for that beautiful, beautiful testimony. I don't, this is an anonymous post. How blessed are we that we got to hear that story. Didn't have a name. Didn't have, uh, you know, didn't have too much personal information, but just enough. I really hope that you guys are still with me, but if you've drifted off to sleep for a little nap, for a little rest your eyes moment, or if you're chilling with me and you're alone and you're doing your vibe, whatever that vibe is, or you're with your kids and your family, like have a beautiful, beautiful weekend and remember that faith is based on something tangible so the more we go through the more that builds for us increasing our faith in him I feel like every every story gets better and better and better as the weeks go on. I'd like to thank you all for listening to Palma Talk Radio. Don't forget, guys, Sunday, we are live streaming on our Palma Media page on YouTube. We are live streaming the Portuguese Problems uh RTP TV show red carpet event with our correspondent Miss Sylvia who is going to probably look uh, not probably but I know is going to look absolutely stunning and she got her some cool stuff at a local business and if you guys have any local businesses that you want us to check out Please leave that information down below if it's Portuguese-owned or there's Portuguese history to it. We'd love to know. Thank you so much for listening to Faith Ignited. Have a beautiful, blessed weekend. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.